Welcome to the Natural History Cupboard. Come on in. And welcome back to the Natural History Cupboard podcast, the place where the weird and wonderful parts of the natural world come together. I'm your host, Gareth, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Drew. Say hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> I wonder if that came through your, Probably your clicking then. No, no, doesn't seem to have recorded most of the time, <laughs> but <laughs> very good. Uh, and uh, Aaron, say hi. 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 Wow. Hello. That was short and sweet. <laughs> right. Well, how are you two both doing on this uh, this fine evening? I was very well until to sort of just explain the the click that you probably couldn't hear on this recording. Uh, we <laughs> yeah. were we were exploring South Africa on Google Maps and and um, and looking at the new name for what was previously Port Elizabeth, uh, which is and the new name has got a click in it, and we were trying to pronounce it, and we realised that that doesn't come through on the uh, on the audio. Which is really sad. So we can't yeah, click. So we, we can't. We can't click. Yeah. No. The application that we're using to record mm. uh, registers it as background noise. Yeah. Uh, that's that why is... it doesn't come out. Yeah. Um, wow. And, and as Gareth said off recording, if you're from if you're uh, if you're from South Africa and your native language is Uza, which again you won't be able to hear. It's going to be very Kosa. <laughs> be very difficult. But with a click at the beginning. Very difficult yeah. for you to. To do a podcast, so our sympathy is for the cause. Maybe you have to language. get technology just wants to hold you back, doesn't it? Well, definitely. Yeah the 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 many dialects of of well South Africa itself. I mean, it would have to be uh, quite a challenge to do a, a multilingual podcast. I imagine for it's for anyone technology. in South Africa, technology is obviously. I don't know if it's because of where it's developed and stuff. The software technology that, is racist. Technology is not. <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna stop short of saying that, but it certainly Are we gonna go on a, are we gonna go on a rant about Twitter again or something well, like that? Yeah. No, but my part my partner obviously being Spanish, she talks to Alexa and Alexa pretends that she doesn't understand her, and then you get this really funny <laughs> one sided argument. <laughs> Could it just be that Alexa just doesn't like <laughs> Alexa just doesn't like her or something? <laughs> because not not saying that in a horrible way. It also doesn't listen to you, Aaron. No, it doesn't. <laughs> there have been times, uh, listeners, where we've had conversations with Aaron, and uh, in the background, we've been uh, both myself and Drew have been able to get his Alexa to turn on mm. by it being in the vicinity of us won't talking. Repeat the and it's, that you've asked it's not listening to, to him. What smooth jazz? There's nothing wrong with uh, what, what, smooth jazz. What, That's not loose. Well, playing... smooth jazz, yeah. Whilst playing the uh, Western, <laughs> not Grand Theft Auto. Western Grand Theft Auto. Um, Dead Redemption. Red, Red, Dead, Red Dead. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> We've played Red so Dead Redemption, that's it. <laughs> Western Grand Theft Auto. Well, you know, I think the Wild West was vastly improved by the sound of smooth jazz in the background. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Moving back into the realms of what we're actually here for. Uh <laughs> We've not really, none of the three of us have really had a uh, particularly wild life uh, filled week of late, have we? No, 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 not at all. That's why we're just rounding um, this section with. Been a bit of one of those just housekeeping weeks, if anything. To be fair, yeah. I've been. Yeah. Well, actually, something that does affect the podcast, I guess, I got my laptop back. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Finally, from, from repair. And also, we've started, Gareth was, was there with me, started uh, 
working on trying to mediate between the 3D printer and the laptop as well. So <laughs> hopefully we might have like some stuff to decorate the studio one day that we might well, have one if day. You can, if you can get your 3D printer to YouTube talk to one you. day. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't ignore you like Alexa and hopefully it <laughs> understands you unlike our microphones. So, mm. oh, or, or ignore you like, hope. Ignore we, you like PC We can it. hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not going to get a corporate sponsorship from no, that. No, we're not, we're not sponsored I, by. I would like to say to the local branch of PC World, they, they did a fantastic, they gave me fantastic customer service, but if there's anyone from PC World headquarters <laughs> or customer service uh, who are listening, you guys, you firstly, get your geography right. Devon <laughs> is not in Ireland. <laughs> and secondly, sort out your customer services. Anyway, wow. let's move swiftly anyway. on. Otherwise, we could get local branch was this. very good. Local <laughs> branch was very good. I will say that. <laughs> let's um, let's kick things off swiftly with uh, with this week's news before heading on into Aaron's first uh, invertebrate creature feature. I think. Yeah, it is. Is it your first one? Mm. It's my first. Invert- I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize until we said that. There's a bit of an awkward pause there where I was like, "Hang on." Rain engaged. Yes, yeah. first ever. Well, in the, Gareth the clearly noticed. The professor has clearly been watching. Well, I, and... I'm. I've been watching, taking note of all of your mm-hmm. invertebrate dealings. That you know, it's not <laughs> a tiger, like, or it's not fair, in the water. You know, I don't know if Gareth is basically the cupboard's version of the God Emperor of Mankind from Warhammer, or maybe just Zordings from the Power Rangers. I just look back at the previous episodes. <laughs> I'm not a big floating head. The eye of Sauron sees all. And on that note, let's move into the news, shall we? Yes. It's the news! Right, well, we're into this week's news, and to start things off, Aaron has got a bit of a recap for us. Yeah, so as our cupboard dwellers will know, here in the Natural History Cupboard, we like to keep you updated on the big stories coming out of the weird and wonderful world of natural sciences. But we don't always have enough time in the show to get through them all, of course, and we've found that we've had to leave some major news stories left out or just mentioned in passing or in like honourable mentions and that kind of thing. So we've set up the Natural History Cupboard Newsreel as a bit of an experiment, but to essentially try and keep you guys up to speed. So let's hop on over there now for some of today's top stories. First up, fishers in Flora's Sea opt to limit harvest of overexploited sea cucumbers. Sea cucumbers, of course, have been a commodity over there since the 60s, and fishers have finally decided to regulate the har- their harvest to kind of halt their decline. Secondly, forest management tool could help rein in rampant wildlife trade in Bangladesh. The forest department over there has introduced a spatial monitoring and reporting tool known as SMART to prevent wildlife tracking in protected forests after the success of SMART technology used in the Sundarbans. Uh, of course, today, the Hawaiian volcano, world's largest active one, in fact, Mauna Loa, erupts for the first time in decades, for the first time in just show 40 years. Sri Lanka University aims to be the country's first to go carbon neutral. The University of Jayawardenepura 
recently assessed its carbon footprint under the ISO 140641 standard. The university intends to reach carbon neutral status mainly through energy efficiency projects and reforestation of free forest patches managed by the university in order to offset its carbon emissions. Also, as shark numbers plummet, nations seek ban over devastating eff uh, effective gear. The US and Canada are seeking the ban in the Pacific on two fishing devices known as wire leaders and shark lines that have proven devastatingly effective in catching huge numbers of sharks. And lastly, to the, uh, to the joy of both Drew and Gareth, a new species of Tyrannosaur, the Spletosaurus wilsoni, hints at ancestor of Tyrannosaurus rex. The animal was found in Montana rocks that are intermediate in age between other Tyrannosaurs in the area and displays a mix of primitive and advanced Tyrannosaurid features. And that will do it for this week's Natural History Covered Newsreel. Guys, if you have a news story you want us to cover, send it in to us and you might see your chosen topic or news article covered here in our, one of our main topics or in our newsreel. I did want to include this in the uh, in the quick fire roundup. I wanted to give it a, a a little bit of its own space before the main articles. But this past week, the zoo industry has lost an absolute uh, legend, a titan, really, mm. um, in Peter mm. Dickinson, who sadly passed away. Uh, Peter owned and and uh, operated Zoo News Digest, which you would have heard us talk about before. I. I know I've used it on a couple of occasions as examples yeah. of where to go to, but he was a, a true kind of uh, advocate for the good that good functional zoos can do and also a voice against the dysfunctional uh, entities in the zoo world as well. Um, he really was a fantastic spokes, spokesperson for the, uh, for the industry. And a genuinely nice person as well. But, yeah. Very nice guy. Very open. Um yeah. I, for one, always got a birthday message from him. But, I mean, lots of people in the industry did, but it always yeah. felt kind of cool that you, that you got one from him. Yeah. He was, he was a nice guy. I, I met him more than a few times because he used to be the, the head keeper of the Welsh Mountain Zoo. Um, That's right, so he yeah. Used, used to stop in every now and again uh, when I when I was there years ago. And, uh, yeah, nice guy. He'd been around the world and seen it all, hadn't he? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Very sadly missed, I think. Uh, a life well lived. When that was, it was a shock when uh, that was announced. Mm. It's certainly a life well lived. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. The message that he wrote on on birthday messages for people was, uh, "May the best of your past be the worst of your future." And yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So uh, yeah, R rest in peace, Peter, and uh, all respect to your. Uh, your family and your friends and colleagues who will be no doubt affected by your loss. Mm, indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, and with that said, let's dive into the main topics. Drew, you can uh, take it away. Hmm. Quick question. Why, why did you direct the Tyrannosaur thing yeah. for me? Because you did, because we were complaining last week about how the, uh, the Tyrannosaur family, particularly the Rex was what we were talking about, but the Tyrannosaur family are always in the news, uh, well, that just proves it. Over, oversaturated and overstudied. <laughs> I was going to omit that one, but I decided just to put it in just for you guys, to be honest. Oh. No, I did see that as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, for a more in-depth article, although this one is relatively short, with me this week, I've got uh, an article titled Parrot 
parrots parrots in British wildlife park put in quarantine for swearing at visitors. <laughs> so this uh, always a always a good news article. Uh, it, it, with concerns to swearing parrots, yeah, uh, people love them. Everyone loves them. Um, so why have they been put in quarantine? So this is referencing a group of African grey parrots at Lincolnshire Wildlife Park uh, that have been put in timeout by zookeepers after encouraging each other time to out. swear at uh, <laughs> to swear at passing visitors. Yeah, basically, the, you know, just like a, a naughty child. Yeah. Put them in timeout. <laughs> put them in timeout for a couple of hours, I think, isn't it? Probably a few hours. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Let them think about what they've done. <laughs> um, so, the five parrots. I've got the names. They're called. Oh, actually, I, I'm going to ask. Do you want to take a guess at what these parrots are called? Is it Stan, oh, is... Kyle, Cartman, and Kenny, and Butters? Um, no, for all of them. I'm going to say like, there's at least a Charlie the in there. By the rules of parrot naming, none of them are called Charlie. What? Oh wow! None of these parrots are called Charlie. George, which is, which is going against none of them are called George either. It's going against everything we've ever known. I know. I mean, I, know, I knew a minor bird that could swear called Charlie. See, oh. it's it's a standard bird name. It's like Fido it's, or Rex. Yeah. Charlie had yeah. a um. He also had a bit of a complex similar to what Dwayne the Rock Johnson was. You know how he always refers to himself in the third person as the Rock. Well, it, Charlie always used to refer to himself as a. In the third person, we'll see that's, that's, that's Charlie. <laughs> uh, well, so their names are Eric, Jade, Elsie, Tyson, and Billy. Oh, uh, now, yeah, now we should have should have guessed with Billy. Billy's a, a common parrot name. Yeah, it's also obviously yeah. a common goat name as well. Every goat, <laughs> every yeah. goat, and every goat's mother is called Billy. But yeah, they were all donated to the park in the same week in August from five different people. Oh wow! Uh, so there's an aunt, aunt parrots that all all were living together. So Steve Nichols, uh, who's the zoo, the zoo's founder and the CEO, which I found weird because I didn't know there was zoos had CEOs. I suppose there's no reasons why they shouldn't, but it depends on what about. type of what type of the business side of the zoo depends on yeah. what type of business that is. Yeah, which I don't know much about Lincolnshire Wildlife Park. Uh, so anyway, Steve uh, said. Uh, I quote, it seems that because of COVID, people have re-evaluated re keeping parrots, uh, which is referencing the uh, the five parrots being donated around the same time by five different people. They were initially put into quarantine together before being on display. And mm. during this period, they all started to swear at each other. <laughs> so Steve, <laughs> F off is the most common swear word, Steve said. <laughs> but apparently they know many more. Uh, anything you can think of, he said. And I just want to take a couple of seconds just for everyone listening and for us here to just think of a few more swear words internally. <laughs> and then we'll were go these, back to the article. Were they rehomed from like from afar? Like, did these parrots come from Devon? I, I would assume... I, I would assume you don't have to come from Devon to swear, close. Aaron. The, I don't know. It is part no. of the vocab here. Yeah, uh, The UK is quite, quite sweary. I mean, this isn't, <laughs> Ameri this isn't America. We all swear here. I mean, even Australia is quite bad. I'll, I'll Australia tell is the worst. Swearing parrot swearing. story in a minute, if, mm. uh, if you want. But yes. So, yeah, we've internalized a few sort of swear words in our head that we think that these parrots might be saying. Um, but back <laughs> to the article. Steve continues, the parrots swear to trigger reaction or a response. Uh, so although they don't know what they're saying, sorry, Steve says, 
<laughs> if people if people look shocked or laugh when they do it, it just encourages them all. Um, they may have been encouraged by park staff who laughed, obviously, because why wouldn't they? Um, and he added, the more they swear, the parrots, this is not the staff, uh, the more you usually laugh, which then triggers them to swear again. So because of this reaction, the birds also learned to laugh at naughty words, which created a circle of profanities and then laughter. When you get four or five together, this is Nichols again, uh, that have learned the swearing and the laughter, when one swears, one laughs, and before you know it, it's like an old working man's club <laughs> scenario where they're all just swearing and laughing. I hope they're laughing like Sid James as well. What a sort of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. want to hear a funny joke? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, so the problem comes... Uh, unfortunately, when they are around visitors. So the animals were far from shy about showing off their vocabulary, and the park was concerned about ch children being sworn at and learning some naughty words. Uh, I mean, some areas in, in the UK, I think children get sworn at quite a lot. Um, <laughs> the children swearing <laughs> at the parrots. Oh, yeah, it's the children swearing themselves. Um, so uh, and some visitors found it funny, Steve said. I mean, some. I'd wager that most of them did. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately... Uh, the uh, the naughty five have since been moved into separate colonies with uh, no problems reported so far. Steve said, I'm hoping they learn different words within colonies, uh, but if they do teach the others bad language and I end up with 250 <laughs> swearing birds, I don't know what I'll do. With nearly 2,000 birds living on site, presumably not all of those are parrots, because uh, I, I can't imagine a stork just... <laughs> Shouting, <laughs> shouting the C word out there. <laughs> um, Lincolnshire Wildlife Park is home to the UK's uh, largest collection of parrots. However, the coronavirus pandemic has has meant that the park, which operates as a charity, has lost thousands of pounds in earnings. Um, mm. So, despite the birds' naughty behaviour, Steve says that their arrival has brought a bright end to a difficult year. Uh, and there I we go. That's some sweary parrots. I think the obvious thing is they, they open up an area of the zoo called the Blue Zoo. The Blue Zoo. That's where <laughs> exactly you, what I would You, you pay would a little bit that. of extra money to go there, yep. and you've, you've got these swearing parrots, you know, mm -hmm. and you go, if you're coming in here, you, 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 know, you are taking the risk that you will be sworn at by our parrots. Yes. But the money that you spend on coming into this bit, you're, you're raising uh, money for conservation, you know. Yeah, it's a swear jar. Yeah, basically, parrots. yeah. You're pay you're putting it in the swear jar. Yeah, you know, and if you're listening to that one, you can have that one for free. Yes. Every <laughs> time a parrot swears, you have you have to put a pound in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that genuinely, that is as I was as I was uh, looking at this article and reading it up and then writing it up, that was literally my thought is that uh, you could just make a section of the zoo where it just says, Hey, look, in here, these parrots are sweary. Yeah. If you've got kids. I mean, it's your responsibility, isn't it? Really, I, it's, I it's also on think you <laughs> you have yeah. an uh, you have an empty enclosure where mm. one day or you know like one day one one uh, day a week every every now and again you'll have a keeper all sitting there as well and basically allow them uh, allow the keeper to to swear how much they would like uh, yes. at some of the stupid <laughs> behaviours that the public you know or it'd be therapeutic <laughs> for the keepers. Yeah, it would. And then the parrots would copy it, and then the public would go in, and they'd hear it's, all the complaints. Yeah, it's you know this is it writes itself. This, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Do you know? I think the best news article we've had was one of Drew's in the past, and I think Drew's just beaten his own, his own, <laughs> his own title. 
What what was the the previous one? I cannot remember, but it was hilarious. Um, yeah, I can't remember, but Drew. There have been a few gold to be ones. The champion of. I of, just find them the best just, news articles. I I do try. I do specifically try and find the funny ones because they're. I mean, they're great to cover. <laughs> mm. Don't follow this one up with like a war torn country, Gareth, because I think it was really set the, the oh, change of tone. Wow. <laughs> Just you wait. Okay. Now I, I <laughs> it's all about how parrots are being killed because they swear. Oh no. <laughs> In Myanmar. No. Um mine is uh, it's it's a well, serious but good good news article. Um okay. and it could be uh, a real step forward. Uh you remember the the other a uh, couple of weeks ago I was saying how uh, I'd got my students involved with doing camera trap monitoring uh, of Scottish wildcats and how they, mm-hmm. they really loved it. Well, here's hoping that fairly soon you could be doing camera, tra- uh, camera trap monitoring of Scottish wildcats, except we'll call them Devon wildcats, Ooh. which doesn't Ooh. sound as, I don't know, does sound as good, doesn't sound as good. Dartmoor mm. wildcats or Exmoor wildcats. Where is Devon again? Because it was just before European. that it was up in, it was up in Ireland. Well, <laughs> so. Um, this is all to do with uh, a plan to reintroduce, um, well, they, they should just be called wildcats back into England, um, specifically in Devon. There's a couple different types of wildcat, though. So I think if they yes. wanted to, to to be accurate, it would be European wildcats. But then it maybe is, it should it be non, yeah. non-EU European wildcats. So mm. I would I'd prefer to call them British wildcats or Felis Silvestrii. Pound well, sterling everything... wildcats. <laughs> yeah, pound sterling. Yeah, Sovereignty anyway. wildcats. Anyway, they're blue. <laughs> Felix Sylvester um, sterling. And they're made in France. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway, so the article is from The Guardian. Um, it's it's on a few different new, uh, new source, uh, sources this week. Uh, so it's wildcats could be released in England for the first time in, over, uh, in hundreds of years. Hmm. Um, and that is is the key thing there in hundreds of years not in a hundred years not like 140 years for the uh the pheasant pigeon from last week this is in hundreds of years i've got the exact uh, figure for it in a minute um but wildcat uh, wildcat experts uh are actually uh being recruited by the wildlife trust with a view to reintroduction of the animals currently found in the remotest parts of scotland uh which is essentially the cairngorms national park um, but wildcats could be released in England for the first time in hundreds of years, uh, as the Wildlife Trust uh, is looking to bring them back to England. Um, after being hunted into extinction, the European wildcat is now the U- UK's rarest native mammal. They're larger than domestic cats, uh, which are bred from the wildcats of Africa. The whole backstory of, of domesticated cats is fascinating and something we should definitely get into at some point, um, because yeah. they've to have domesticated twice over the years i think we have a little bit yeah um even even if we'd go into it as a creature feature maybe i'm surprised neither of you have done domestic cat i i thought about doing domestic aaron has done he's done the scottish wild i got into it a little bit with the wild cat yeah Hmm. anyway uh it's not been spotted in southern england since the eight uh the 16th century so we're looking at over 400 years uh, with this cat out of our ecosystems, basically. 
Uh, but now it looks possible that the animal will be found stalking the landscape once more. After the Vincent Wildlife Trust found the Brambley Woodland uh, of Devon and Cornwall, the most suitable place for the fluffy predators to be released. They are fluffy. <laughs> Local... They are. They're very, I love very their tails. Fluffy. Big fluffy tails. We do have a lot of bramble. Well, this is very true. Uh, the local wildlife trust has began taking steps in earnest uh, to see if they can reintroduce the cats. The charity is hiring a wildcat officer who is tasked with finding out whether releasing the mammals is even feasible. So it's still at the feasibility stage. So it's very, very early doors. Uh, mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, there is a link there. If anyone is looking to become a wildcat officer in Devon or Cornwall, um, there is a link to basically applying for that job. So... If that sounds like you, go go apply for that. Uh, once widespread across the UK, the cats are now only found in the remotest reaches of Scotland. This small population, however, is no longer judged viable by the IUCN, um, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, with only 30 wild animals showing uh, a high degree of hybridization with domestic cats in this area. I personally thought there was more than 30 individuals, at least, but... Um, there is a massive issue with with uh, hybridization um, of, of wild cats uh, with domestic cats. Pete Burgess, who is from the Devon Wildlife Trust, um, who is partially responsible for the successful beaver trial on the River Otter, an animal of which I've still yet to see on that river, <laughs> which boasts a thriving wild population uh, of the once locally extinct rodents, of which I've still yet to see one, keep in mind. <laughs> They're definitely there, just never seen them yet. He is now looking at how the wildcat could be reintroduced wow. by the Wildlife Trust into Devon. And you can guarantee I'll never see them. <laughs> so uh, preliminary feasibility studies have shown that there is a really strong potential for them in the southwest of England, he told The Guardian. Uh, now we're bringing it to the next step, uh, looking at any impact that there would be on the ecosystem and seeing if there is support in the local community. So yet again, you know, trying to get uh, local people involved to basically make it sort of a, a shared ownership, a shared partnership. Um, yeah. Although you know what farmers are like in a lot of ways when it comes to things like that, which I will touch on just briefly because there's a brilliant, brilliant comment. Um, uh, Burgess hopes that it will be possible for them to be reintroduced. Uh, and they used to be really widespread across the whole of the UK, but they are now, unfortunately, our rarest mammal on the verge of extinction. Uh, the wildcats would bring ecological benefits, uh, according to Burgess, as important predators, uh, which have been removed from the landscape. Mm -hmm. The cats would be released from a stud book of genetically strong wildcats, which could one day uh, produce kittens to be released. Uh, they're being created by both zoos and private breeders, and there are loads of collections now around the UK that are keeping uh, and housing Scottish wildcats. I think um, I said this in my creature feature, but if you want to be it's a very kind of opinionated opinion but uh if you a very strong opinion i should say i feel like if zoos genuinely want to be taken seriously with the conservation they need to swap out meerkats for european wildcats uh as yeah. a as a flagship species for local and uh local and national uh conservation definitely definitely well Every let's say the numbers the UK of things should like have wildcats even even uh uh, so Dartmoor Zoo is one of the ones that I've been able to find uh, that is looking to be adding to this population that might be reintroduced. So the animals are there and we're just waiting on the 
the feasibility, I suppose, and, and areas to be devised. Uh, but yep. one of the reservations people have had about the release of these wild cats is that there are so many domestic cats out in the landscape uh, and there are concerns about hybridization. Personally, that would be my number one concern. Uh, and they, yeah, um, mine too. It, it, it's so basically... I, oh, yeah, so I was just about to say, I um, happened to be at a talk uh, where someone from the Devon Wildlife Trust was uh, talking about wildlife, uh, was talking oh, yeah. about wildcats. Oh. And um, he mentioned... Did he say uh, they, they tend to avoid domestic cats, but they'll be spending up to 18 months looking for a feral cat population in the area? He didn't specifically say that, but he did say if there is a good population of wild cats there, if there is a stable uh, population of wild cats, they don't tend to hybridize with domestic cats. They stick. Mm -hmm. I mean, they uh, excuse the term, but they get, stick to their own. Did you you basically get to to hear this, Pete Burgess? I don't think it was Pete Burgess. Burgess. I, I just looked. I've just uh, Burgess. I've just looked at uh, looked him up on a picture. I don't think it was him. There are okay. also ways. There's ways and means to get around it. It's just uh, it's a lot of effort. You have to mm -hmm. in Scotland they were doing the uh, catch catch and release project with the domestic cats. So they'd catch them if they caught a Scottish wildcat. They'd do what they need to do, you know, uh, health check them and all that. But if they caught domestic cats, it would be health check and also a uh, that they'd be neutered or spayed um, yeah. before yeah. being released back out so that they couldn't hybridize. Uh, mm -hmm. with with the wildcats so there well, are ways I mean, of doing it there's ways of yeah. managing all the carnivores that should be here it's just oftentimes it's this is this is very true i mean you know you know well i definitely agree that the the first thing that should be done is all cats uh should be spayed uh, or mm -hmm. neutered um unless you're a registered breeder or something like that but that would require coming yeah. up with some sort of legislation um but also, it should be a case of, I mean, you know my opinion on cats, both of you, about having them uh, as mostly indoors and then having a catio or an enclosure. That yes. way it stops your cat from getting into these situations um, or being run over by cars or various other things. But anyway, yeah. moving on from that, um, that does seem to be one issue that uh, people have, have raised. Um, and <laughs> there is a brilliant bit on it as well that says, some farmers are concerned wildcats could they disturb their livestock or even eat their sheep. Classic. I don't know what kind of wildcats they're confusing them for, but they seen I've, a sheep. I've spoken to a few farmers in my time, and and I'm very curious because I've never, I've never, I've never heard a farmer have a particular issue with cats. It's always, you know, it's always about <laughs> domestic dogs and things like that, and people letting dogs off leads and things. Never heard someone make an issue with cats. So, yeah, I mean, but anything with with teeth. Oh yeah, if it's <laughs> wild. Lamb, then it's lambs, a problem. <laughs> lambs collapse in its presence <laughs> and just die. It does say it's a well known um, fact that the feline family. Any sheep at all. You, well, you know true. how we, if you look into the eyes of a gorgon, it turns you to stone. Well, if you're yeah. a livestock and you look into the eyes of a cat, doesn't a matter if it's you, a if you're, tiny if you're, little, if tiny little African black-footed cat or the massive Amur tiger. It doesn't matter. All cats <laughs> yeah. have the ability to Hypnotize give, and drop them dead. give livestock fits, and they just flop and die. Yep, yep. yep. So the quote, like the, the the bit that I have from the news article, like I say, it says some farmers are concerned wildcats would disturb their livestock or even eat their sheep. But some experts say this would not happen as wildcats are likely to hide and rarely take anything larger than a small rodent. 
Mm-hmm. Who were the other experts who were saying that they could take wild, uh, that they could take down a sheep? The armchair experts, expert. Gareth. The armchair experts, the same ones that that um, deny all the other science that comes out. I mean, you know, fringe scientists. I know that there are that there are some of those hilariously brilliant videos of like cats in America or in parts of Europe finding a bear in the garden and just laying into it and the bear running away. But yeah. they're not killing and eating the bear, yeah. you know. That's the difference is there is that the bear is a threat, isn't there. it? Yeah. yeah, the bear's yeah. a the bear is a threat. Uh, unless <laughs> unless lambs are packing. Which, I mean, the jury's out. <laughs> don't think could be hiding think a, in their wool. It's just going to go out of its way to assault a lamb. Yep. Well, you never know. Before it gets assaulted itself. <laughs> well, I think we know the obvious, yeah. the obvious uh, solution. Um, based on other internet Get videos, rid of all the sheep. We no, we just we just put cucumbers on the backs of the sheep. Reg- regulate oh, yeah, yeah. gun ownership amongst the sheep population. <laughs> No, because anyway. then they will be packing, and then the cats will attack. <laughs> let's not let's stop this sheep on cat, cat on sheep violence. No, uh, we don't want it. But uh, Derek Gow, a former farmer turned rewilder, based in Devon, also uh, mm-hmm. is helping with the project, uh, and hopes it could mean that the wildcats are back on the landscape as early as twenty twenty five. We do actually have a quote from him as well. So um, apart from that, uh, from him uh, giving a. Uh, a brief outline of when he'd like to see them. 2025, that's, well, that's pretty pretty soon. I'd, li- uh, I'd like to think that we ha- we'd have free living cats in England again by 2025. Once we have the feasibility information, uh, we will look at how we produce cats, which we can support in going out into the wider environment. Uh, it's also a relatively straightforward process as well. To be clear, anything that will be done uh, will be done reasonably within the IUCN guidelines, uh, so Gao has said. But yeah, essentially, we're looking at um, a now driving sort of force by a group of people to try and reintroduce Scottish wildcats, British wildcats, call them whatever you want, wildcats, back into the uh, the landscape of Devon, which would be really cool to see. Yeah, I've won them. Well behind having European wildcats more widespread on the British Isles. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, the sort of key places I think to be able to reintroduce them would be, uh, you know, Dartmoor and, and Exmoor, and mm. also parts of Wales. I would have thought would have been really uh, good, considering so the pine martin uh, reintroductions have gone on mm-hmm. there. Yep. So, and can I just yeah. say, if you if you at home. Cupboard dwellers, if if you want to show your support for the wildcat, there is a wildcat shirt on our T-Mill <laughs> site. It's it's also an episode, like say, that uh, Aaron has previously uh, uh, extolled the virtues of this uh, fantastic feline. Mm. Mm, there we go. Right. Well, shall we? Uh, shall we go delving into your uh, invertebrate creature feature, Aaron? We shall. Cool. We'll scuttle, shall we? Scuttling. It's the creature feature. So we're now into uh, Aaron's creature feature. Um, but before we begin that, I just want to make a quick correction. I did oh. say, I know, I know. I did Liability. say that it's Aaron's Crossing. only invertebrate creature feature, although he's actually done two beforehand. Oh, oh the the tongue louse was one of them. Tongue oh, louse. To be fair, Aaron didn't remember either. No, <laughs> yeah. uh, tongue louse was one of them. And... Can you remember your other one, Aaron? <clears throat> um... It's a sea creature, I'll tell you that much. Oh, sea creature invertebrate. Oh, 
what am I on about? It's one of like the best animals on the planet. It's the uh, blue ringed octopus. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I completely forgot about those two. Um, so did I. <laughs> yeah, evidently so did you. Yeah, although we will, we will. I amend, amend that that uh, it's not an invertebrate. Well, it is an invertebrate. Uh, but certainly it's your first... Well, I'll let you explain, shall I? It, it, yeah. It, well, it's certainly my first arachnid, isn't it? Indeed. Um, we're going to start off with a pop quiz, guys. Oh, nice. This might go terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for me, because I knew nothing about spiders. Oh, good. Cause it might they're, they're the ones the with... The, they've got, what, nine legs? Uh, <laughs> some. Some have Some have 15. Wow. <laughs> oh, God, I didn't even know that. We, we, we get done for false news now. Uh, so, first question. Speak for yourselves. <laughs> Mexican red knees, Chilean roses, Brazilian salmon pinks, Honduran curly heads, orange mm. baboons, cobalt mm. blues, huntsmans. What do each of these have in common? They are all, and I'm quite ashamed that you've said all these out loud on the podcast, Darren, because they're all presumably racial slurs. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say up until the point where you started going into uh, uh, Huntsman they're all Therosophoidae but um, I think where you're going with it is that they're all referred to as tarantulas Indeed and, uh, and are tarantulas true spiders? No Yeah why not? <laughs> well <laughs> if you played along at home and you answered <laughs> That they are all all those species that I listed off were all tarantulas, or like Gareth, you said no, tarantulas are not true spiders. Then you would be wrong on both counts. Would you? What? Oh, I'll beat you, Gareth. <laughs> and today we're going to discover yeah, why. Faith. Because today, ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the tarantula, not a tarantula, but the tarantula. Oh. That is right. Lycosa tarantula, a binomial name, essentially defining fear for so many people by conjuring the ancient Greek leukos for wolf, um, and of course the image of the large hairy spiders that we so erroneously refer to as tarantulas in our day-to-day -day conversations. I'd just like to clarify, tarantulas, therosophoidae, are, are not true spiders. No, they're not. Yeah. You're just going on the name. <laughs> well, they are the original tarantulas. Yeah, all right. You're getting on a technicality there. <laughs> Semantics. Right, anyway. I do cover that, by the way, just to be clear. Or I, I hammer home the point that tarantulas are the Italian species. Hailing from southern Europe, particularly Taranto, in the Apulia region of Italy, from whence, of course, it gets its name, this my friends, is the OG tarantula from whom all other pretenders fashion their title. Now, it's worth us taking a pause in the creature feature to discuss just what a true spider is, so that you know what we're talking about uh, with regard to these critters. So guys, can you rattle off some features of the true spider lineage, what sets them apart from the, uh, the, the other spiders? Uh, 15 legs. <laughs> pincers that come in from the side as opposed to down okay. when they stab mm. um, members of Raniomorphidae is another big thing which is the, mm. the overall arching group uh, yeah. 
I should really be th- able to think of more. Well, you I'll really should. I'll <laughs> add a couple to this. So spiders have six spinnerets, whereas what we refer to as the tarantulas, um, they only have, uh, I think, at most they have four to exude their silk webs. And also, speaking about silk webs, spiders, true spiders, oh yeah, like the tarantula, they use their silk to trap prey, whereas tarantulas, um, they they don't they um they use it as a carpet on which to or a hammock on which to basically hang it's out. It's nowhere near as sticky. It's no. it's basically used as sort of a yeah a carpet. <laughs> it's sticky. Um, what is it? <laughs> also, whilst the tarantulas, the pretender tarantulas, shall we say, they can uh rub their hairs off and use them as uh, well, a defense that's only south american tarantulas that you can that can uh, utricate now back to the eight-legged star of the show at 30 millimeters in length males about a third smaller than that this is actually relatively large in terms of of true spiders uh they're nocturnal in habit too with keen eyesight and a flighty temperament uh so they're not really prone to making threat displays like some of the tarantulas in quotation marks that we've come to know. Um, and they generally loiter at the entry to their burrows, which they excavated upon their independence and leg it at the first sign of a larger animal. So we humans have a very difficult uh, time get, trying to get close to them. There is a way around this though, and I'll get onto that in a minute. Uh, so females live their entire lives in the burrow, save only for the nightly hunting expeditions. Now, when they find a mate, about a third of all reproductive activities ends in her murdering and cannibalizing him. So not not a good species. I mean, that's pretty it's pretty common in spiders for the males to get the uh, the not so great end of that of that interaction. But um, yeah, not a great species to be if you're a bloke. Over 100 eggs will be deposited into a silk sack that the female has spun, and then she keeps them attached to her spinnerets. Now, whilst they're attached, the female must walk with her abdomen raised so that they don't drag along the floor, uh, but she'll still make a really fast and lethal hunter. Um, and some of the videos on YouTube, not necessarily of them hunting, but of them traveling around and, and stuff, you can, kind of, you can see this. It's re- really quite cool to watch it. Have you never seen wolf spiders in your garden doing the same? Because they're in the same family of uh, of yeah, uh, they are wolf, wolf spiders, spiders yeah. in our UK. Yeah, um, they do the same thing. I knew that they did it. I've never actually seen it with my own eyes. Oh, you should come and you should come and hang out by my rockery. I would love to, and and just watch this. It's full of wolf spiders, and you see a little female one with an egg sack every now and again. Not this I'd actually time of like year, but... to. I'd actually like it if I can out with you just a bit, just to help with some uh, some uh, local spider identification anyway, because it's one of my weaker, one of my weaker kind of. Let's go look at some spiders skills here. <laughs> um, so on hatching, these one hundred spiderlings, if she's very, 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 very lucky, will climb aboard the bus that is Mum's abdomen and lazily hitch a ride wherever she goes until they reach maturity, at which point they'll jump off without so much as a hug and make their own independent way in the world. With her daughters living to see roughly four years and her sons, if they are lucky, living to only about two years old. Now, 
Once independent, the Spiderlings will find their own territories, excavate their own burrows, and essentially start living life much like their parents did before them. They'll sleep the day away, they'll hunt through the night, and they'll try not to be killed during one of their one-night stands. Uh, they'll also hibernate through the worst of winter, even in the southern med in, in Italy. Now, as the name suggests, and as myself and Gareth have already said, this spider, the tarantula, is a wolf spider, meaning it has around 2,887 other family members. Uh, now, to a quick glance, they may seem no different than nursery web spiders. However, the method of carrying their eggs about is different between the two families. You'll recall that wolf spiders, like our Italian tarantulas, carry theirs on their spinnerets. Well, nursery web spiders actually carry theirs with their mouth parts, specifically the chelicery and their secondary counterparts, the pedipalps. Nursery web spiders. The what? The pedipalps? Pedipalps. Pedipalps. Mm. Gotta love the palps. Sounds a bit too close to another word for me. <laughs> what? Palpatine. Podiatry. Yes, that one. Yeah, it's <laughs> disgusting. Get away from people's feet. Another difference to identify them against nursery web spiders is that whilst nursery web spiders have evolved eyes that are pretty equal in size throughout, wolf spiders can be identified by acknowledging that two of the eight eyes are larger and more prominent than the rest. Now, these are arranged so that there are four smaller eyes on the bottom row, and then there's a middle row where those two larger eyes kind of sit, and then there's a top row where there are two medium-sized eyes kind of residing up there. Now, their eyes also feature a tapetum lucidum, uh, the same reflective tissue that you think of when your torch beam meets the eyes of a cat or dog in the, in the street at night. And flashing that same torchlight at this spider will, re will reproduce that exact same phenomena, uh, which is something to look for. And that's what, what I alluded to earlier when I said that there is a kind of cheap method for finding these guys. So you go out at night with your torch and you can pick up their eye shine. These, these eyes provide the tarantula and its wolf spider kin with exceptional vision, where most other tarantulas generally have pretty bad eyesight and are only really able to perceive intensities of light and dark variation. Uh, in fact, the only spider families with better eyesight than tarantulas and the wolf spiders are the jumping spiders, which I suppose that's that's pretty handy, really. And uh, incidentally, the huntsman spiders too have really mm. good eyesight. Now, this feature actually helps distinguish wolf spiders from another similar family, the grass spiders, uh, because they have a uh, difference in, in eyes and eyesight too. Now, wolf spiders, like our tarantulas, they rely heavily upon camouflage for survival, both in terms of protection through remaining hidden and to effectively hunt. Now, for this reason, they have not evolved the more vibrant colorations seen in other species, especially some of the imposter tarantulas like those I've listed above. Indeed, the tarantula wolf displays an arrangement of earthy colors, ranging from dull blondish tan over the legs with a similar colored stripe along the head region of the cephalothorax, and an accompaniment of light white blonde stripes outlined along the top of each with a black flash. And it really does give a very beautiful kind of camouflage effect. Um, it's really nice to look at. Uh, have either of you guys actually seen one of these in the wild? Or in life well, I've never at been, all? No, I've never been to, to Italy, so I'd love to go and see one. I've I'd seen, love to see one. I've seen lots of different species of wolf spider, but never seen one of the uh, that particular species it would be very cool to to see them 
I have um, been to Italy, but I've not. No, I've. I, I don't think I was looking at spiders at the time. No, no, looking for, what's looking wrong for, with you? Looking for was, Sorry, I was too. You were looking at Italian preoccupied. Bloody <laughs> buildings and yeah, and oh, look, look, the Romans did something, and yeah, what the Romans ever done for us, eh? Romans. I was looking at the Domo. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, further variations in dark and light tones can be found peppered along the spider's flanks. Uh, and as I say, it's just a really impressively coloured animal uh, in terms of camouflage. Now, a trait shared across the Araniae order is, of course, venom. And this is no different for tarantula wolf spiders. The venomous bite of the tarantula is vital to the species. Obviously, this is primarily the chosen kill method, but also acts as a means of self-defense when it needs to be. The venom has evolved to take down their insect prey. Uh, so it's not particularly potent, but mammals can have a, uh, very, very different reactions to, to their bites. With regards to humans though, well, we'll take a quick detour to pop culture corner because a bite from the wolf tarantula was once thought to cause tarantism. Now this is a hysteric behavior first described in the 11th century and originating from southern Italy, particularly the province of, you guessed it, Taranto. Uh, it caused a case of extreme excitability and restlessness in the patients that led to people believing that they needed to participate in some sort of crazed dancing. To combat this, a dance later known as the Tarantella was developed. You can kind of pick up on a theme, I think, here. Uh, and this was developed <laughs> as a, as a form of therapy. The dance itself is thought to be a survivor from some, as Gareth alluded to, uh, with the alcohol comment, Dionysiac cult. Uh, mm -hmm. Dionysiac coming from Dionysus, who is a Greek god pretty much worshipped for getting drunk and existing in cults. Um, this cult was driven underground uh, by the Romans around uh, 186 BC. Now, to cure the ailment, the therapeutic music would use clarinets and drums and attempt to match the pace of the jerks and fits of the patient. None of this is reliably supported by substantiated science, however, and any and all causes of tarantism are still pretty much unknown. It seems unlikely to be the result of a spider bite, though, particularly not the Lycosa tarantula, whose venom is just too weak to really cause anything more than a bee sting kind of effect. But there is scope for a better corpora in Latrodectus tredicim cutatus. Do any of you guys, do either of you guys even know which spider that is? It's a member of the widow family in Latrodectes. Very good, Gareth. It's uh, often referred to as the Mediterranean Black Widow. Look at his, look at his non nonchalant way of, <laughs> of answering that. Just, just, oh, you, what? you pleb. back. You Head in hand. How All dare right. you All ask right. me such a question? How <laughs> dare you? I am Spider Lord. <laughs> look, you know for years I've had people going, <laughs> oh, is that a Black Widow? Yeah. And having yeah. to explain yeah. the difference between a, a false widow and a bloody... Black Widow, which is an impressive-looking species of spider, <laughs> and false widows are these poor pretenders that make fluffy webs and all sorts. And it, uh, it, yeah, forgive me for knowing the name of a group of spiders. <laughs> well, I think I can find it in my heart to forgive you. <laughs> just to put that the uh, the um, suspicion of either of those two spiders to rest. 
there is again no link between the bite of the Mediterranean Black Widow and the Tarantism uh, dancing mania. So it's uh, unlikely that shocking eleventh century, shocking that eleventh century medicine is somehow <laughs> flawed. <laughs> It's always, if you notice, it's always either an invertebrate, a reptile, or a wolf that is scapegoated <laughs> as something bad. Pretty much. Do they, so, I, I, I don't know if you're going to go on to this next, but do they actually know the cause of this disease? Not tarantism itself, but there's no. something. It is. I, mania, it's sorry. related to something else that I'm. I think I'm about. To, yeah, I'm about to talk about, it, and that's. Uh, it's a psycho sorry it's mass psychogenic illness uh, right it's also known as mpi in the tarantism symptoms even though it's talked about separately and as if it's its own thing tarantism is the symptoms of it are consistent with mass psychogenic illness um right and that's a it's a bit of an odd thing because the it this this is essentially the spread of symptoms um through the masses uh through the populace without the presence of an infectious agent or contagion to be held responsible it's almost like it's, it's made up like just yeah made up someone's seen someone do doing it and they've decided to do it and there's yeah um have you ever heard of the um the dancing plague of uh strasbourg oh that sounds familiar but i don't know why <laughs> it's a it, it's a it's a plague uh, I'm just going to Google actually specifically when it happened, but yeah, basically it's a it's a, a plague that happened during the Middle Ages, late Middle Ages, I'd say, uh, where people basically started dancing, and they danced until they died. Right. I don't know if this had anything to do with that. I I wonder if it is related because even though the the it's um it sounds the way we're talking about it, it sounds very like um dismissive, um. Well, I, I, but I think it's because we're coming from the point of view of a spider bite causing this. Hmm. Um, but if you actually look at the, if you actually look at tarantism and follow it through to mass psychogenic illness um, and dancing mania, that's another thing. It's it gets called dancing mania. It, I was thinking it actually, was gone. I was I was in my head. I was picturing it like those experiments where people just start a queue for no reason. And people uh, join yeah, yeah. in, yeah. Even even though they don't know necessarily what the queue is for, they just join in. Yeah, My... basically people giving in to the the idea of, well, there must be something in it. At, you know? mo at yeah. one point during my research for this, I my head went to that place too, but that was before I came to um came to another bit of information that was it. It was a little bit more detailed about what happens, and basically. It might look like dancing, like someone dancing very erratically and weirdly and stuff. But it's like it—it's actually like. Um, I'm in agony. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much about it because I didn't go too deep into it, so I could stick mm. to the the tarantula. Um, but it, yeah, it looks like convulsing and 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 almost like fitting. But like I say, uh, I'm here to talk about the spider, and I'm not. An expert in mania, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to really answer that. Did you find the answer to your dancing Strasbourg problem? Uh, it's so basically, I'm on the Wikipedia page now, just called dancing mania. Um, yeah, it's and, the same thing. 
Tarantus, yeah, so Tarantism is is on here. It's listed, so it basically just says in Italy a, a similar phenomenon. Um, but yeah, there was a um, in in Strasbourg in uh, it says fifteen eighteen. Yeah, people literally danced mm-hmm. until they died. Um, well, it's interesting that these two ah it could are be named sorry, after the two can... things, so, named after the two locations. So you've got Tarantism from Taranto. And then mm-hmm. your Strasbourg uh, dancing um, plague. plague. It was a dancing, dancing plague. Yeah, is it, there, there is actually something very localized um, events. Yes, mm-hmm. and there's something I've been able to find out in the meantime. It could be ergot poisoning. Oh yeah, yeah ergot which poisoning, was very, which very common. does cause very common convulsions, violent jerking movements. It's basically a fungus that gets into wheat. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Oh, interesting. There we, there we go. It could that be was a uh... good little wonder hole to go down. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get down to brass tacks, shall we? What what really happens to a human when it's bitten by this species? Dances. Well, yeah, dance. Well, we've, we've discussed that. We <laughs> dance around, gripping the bit that's been the the area that's been bitten, swearing like one of your parrots. Yeah. Oh, you so and so. Yeah, all uh, those parrots actually had just been bitten by spiders. Yeah, that's, that's all that was happening. And, and then people started laughing. Parrots so they got me, angry yeah. and they swore more. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, all reports point toward it being roughly as painful as a bee sting. But as I mentioned before, the spider is very reluctant to bite larger animals. And while some kind of species and, and families of spider will actually be quite inquisitive and they'll kind of walk on your hand if you were to pick one up and hold one uh these guys won't these guys are very flighty um to initiate a bite from from a, a from a tarantula as in the tarantula wolf spider is essentially to corner and con- continually abuse it until you get what you deserve uh quite frankly uh but that being said Research is, is is quite interesting. Uh, research has been demonstrated that an artificially administered bite from this species can kill smaller species of mammal and bird. Hmm. Um, I wonder if that's because they get the when it's artificially in, it, 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 it administered, they're getting the full, whack, the full whack yeah. of it. Whereas if the spider is biting just because it feels that it has to, um. Yeah. It's probably well, it's, it, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, don't don't forget when a when venomous animals bite for defense, they then lo- lose a period of time where they can't use that method to hunt anymore because yeah. they've got to build it back up. Um, well, it's punctures, Gareth. Oh, oh, good one. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, well, due to this low toxicity, other research has suggested that it's not worth going down the route of um, studying it for medical purposes, just because it's not, there's other toxins that are far more valuable. It's not worth looking at. Yeah. So there is. I can't kill anyone with this. (laughs) This is useless. Useless. All I killed was a chaffinch. (laughs) That's all right, Aaron. That's that's pretty much it. That's the true OG tarantula, Lycosa tarantula, the tarantula wolf spider a spider whose bite was once believed to cause a form of dancing mania and lost its name to its larger groupies how did they lose their title 
well, I was hoping that I'd find something exciting or at least interesting uh, as an answer for you guys. Uh, a coup. Yeah, a coup, yeah, the uprising from the... the great uh, spider coup of from the 1620. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's it's as interesting or as boring as when Europeans spread across the world, they took the name with them. And nowadays, we most often use the term to refer to members of the uh, Therafusidae. Though, to be mm. fair, as as the list I rattled off in that initial pop quiz should suggest, other members of the Infra Order, Megalomorphe, uh, have also been dubbed Tarantula. Basically, um, anything big and hairy. Anything is a big and hairy, basically. Uh, yeah. I, I was hoping that I would come across the reason why that name was transferred to others. But what I was really hoping, my my real kind of desire for this creature feature and the research for it was that I would I would find a reason or understand a reason for why we don't refer to this one as a tarantula anymore. Um, and I couldn't find any answer to that bit uh, other than the fact that it's not a huge hairy spider. Um, so, but yeah, um, you guys have already said that you haven't seen a true tarantula, but guys at home, cupboard dwellers, right into us. Have you guys seen a tarantula wolf spider in life? Do you have mm. or care for any of the more famous, like pretender tarantulas at home or at work? And if so, what species do you have under your care? Let us know. I'd be interested to hear just how many tarantula keepers there are out there. Oh, there's quite a few of them. Hmm. Hmm. I think Malta, Malta I, I think when it comes to uh, why we don't use the name anymore, is it just it's overshadowed by. I think so. Uh, yeah. By Therosophoidae. Um, but that's the... not a satisfying. No, well, it wasn't a satisfying answer. I was hoping that there was something, something there, but there's not. There's not no I, meat. I to think get your teeth into when when like say when Europeans went across to the Americas, uh, and and to be honest, even parts of of Africa as well. I mean. You've got you know the baboon spiders. Most of most of Africa and southern Africa is where they're they're found. Um, but that's that's what they're referred to as as baboon mm. spiders. You don't tend to hear a lot of people calling them tarantulas there, mm. and it's to do with the fact that they're, they're I think it's their color is supposed to look very much like a baboon's hand. Oh yeah, so that's where they get their name from. To be then... fair, Europeans are very bad at naming things. Um, so. We go off to the Himalayas and we see a big cat that lives in snow and has spots, and we end up calling it a snow leopard. Uh, it doesn't take much brain cell. Uh, however, snow leopards are not um, not really that closely related to leopards, other than the fact that they're a big cat. Uh, they're close. They're actually a sister uh, species to tigers, and their their name, their local name, is ounce cat. Uh, so it only weighs an ounce. <laughs> which they it's don't i don't even know how much that is it's, it's not very much no <laughs> but um i think yeah the tarantula is when spanish and italian settlers sort of went across to the new world is where that then came with it mm. and becomes part of the uh the the lexicon i suppose you know mm -hmm. Uh, if i could just add to my request uh about if anyone at home listening has uh, either as a companion animal or as a uh, as a a charge at work. Um, 
if you look after tarantulas, don't just uh, write in and tell us what species. If you've got photos, send the photos in. Love to see them. There's some Which fantastic ones, uh, ones out there. Oh, I mean, well, we only we'd only have to appeal to uh, to Phil Barber to see some of his collection. Oh, the magnificent, if... mag, mag, magnificent, 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 magnificent. <laughs> it's got some magnifico tarantulas. Uh, Phil, if you're listening, just send them all in. All the pictures. Yeah, not send those ones. The tarantulas. <laughs> oh yeah, just not the tarantula ones. pictures. Tarantula <laughs> pictures. <laughs> Nothing else anyway. big and hairy. <laughs> shall we? Shall we move on? <laughs> Bing! You've got mail. Ooh, it's an email. Right. Well, we're into our questions for this week. Uh, we're diving into our, our mailbag. Drew, you've got a question that's come in from the listeners. Um, what do you got? Yeah. So we've got a question from from definitely human. Still very suspicious. Suspect name. Yeah. Suspect. Yeah. Uh, very sus. Um, and they asked if you could communicate with any species through speech, so they understand us and we understand them. What species would you choose? And they put a caveat to that, which is that we cannot choose any domestic animals. Okay. I mean, you got you got to ask the sheep what they're terrified of. Clearly, if that was the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, you would class them as domestic, wouldn't you? Because it's livestock, so you can't. You can ask wild sheep. You can ask mm. mouflon. Yeah, but you got to shout up a mountain, then don't you? you? Have you got to go to uh, what is it? Site? No, Crete. Cyprus. I mean, yeah, it's it's in the, an island on the Med. I can't remember which one. Seems a long a long way to go for a conversation. I mean, a very nice place to go though. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can ask them, ask them to pay for it. <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go um I'm gonna go with something like jackdaws or no magpies. Magpies. Yeah, I'm gonna Pe- basically. Pe- I mean, Pe- my Pe- other thought my other thought was to have something like rats. You know, oh, rats have would a be a spy good network. One. Basically, yeah. you could you become you know you you got eyes and ears everywhere. Mm. But I think I think magpies would be just as good in that yep. sense. I had a a reasonably long think about this, and I thought I'd like to speak to something that's probably very old, and see what it's hear about what it's seen. Uh, I was thinking, oh, maybe tortoises, but then mm. I'd have to go out and find one, <laughs> particularly one that's quite long lived. And again, I got to go to the equator for most of the giant ones. So instead, actually, because they haven't—they've just specified species. They haven't specified it has to be an animal. So ah. I've chucked in oak trees. I would like to go and because it has to be a single species. So I can't just chat to any old tree. But I'll go talk to the oaks, see None what's going on. Ash trees. Like to learn I think yeah. the ash trees. I think most of their speech would be basically, "Please kill me." <laughs> I'm so, oh, God, I'm so ill. I'm so ill. <laughs> I'd be like, "No, I just want to hear about your life." And they'd be like, "No." End of the pain. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I, I agree old, with Aaron. I, I think I, I agree with Aaron. You're going to be sitting there learning Entish, basically. Well, if I can Takes understand them, they can understand anything me. in Entish. Well, yeah. I can I can hurry them along, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're going to look rather odd just standing there talking to a tree. Well, they come with fire. They come with axes, burning, breaking, hacking, gnawing, biting. I mean, you're going to be looking quite odd running through a park just shouting at magpies. <laughs> no, they're coming to me. I'm talking to oh, them. Oh, you're AC. You're calling you know. over. Yeah. I'm on, on nobody's side, Drew. Because <laughs> nobody is on 
My side, Barum. There, I'm on their side. Yeah, I'll make that quite clear. I'll tell them to get all those ashtrays to shut up, please. We're trying <laughs> to have a slap, conversation. Well, I suppose to extend on that, you mm. could even go further. You could speak to Microrhizomal Fungi, the one that connects Ooh. the whole forest network up. See, so you could mm. you could basically speak to the planet. You know, mm. that's like, that's getting a little sort of. Uh, that would be like jacking very... into like a um... it's almost avatar-y, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like Avatar or the Matrix, but where the Matrix, <laughs> you're not plugged into machines; you can just get plugged into the earth and then into the fungal. Yeah, who was fungi the, growing on me? <laughs> the new improved Captain Planet, Fungi Man, Fungi Man, <laughs> Fungi Man. <laughs> yeah, but he's a really fun guy. Yeah, um... I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, my first response was that I'm. Like to, uh, you, know, you could have some like mythological level fun with this. You could either go down the route of ravens and have like the ravens reporting to you on everything going on in the in Midgard, or you could, uh, we could go down like the DC route and have like be able to speak to all the marine life. But then I remembered there's just one species, it's one single species, species. Yeah. yeah, one single species speak to, to talk speak to. Speak to, to the, the plankton, the plankton. <laughs> um, Although there's you probably only plankton speaking be, to this one like a very small percentage of the plankton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Dunno, can't really see very much. I can't see. <laughs> uh, I think I would um I I it's a very basic uh, answer for, for me, I think, but I would tigers. speak to tigers. Yeah, tigers. <laughs> <laughs> Try, I, and they'll I'm also not... be going, Aaron, just kill us. God <laughs> please <laughs> put us out of our misery. <laughs> I'd, I'd speak to them not not because I, I think they have anything interesting to say, although I'm sure they do. But it'd be more to kind of try and collaborate on how best to like where needs what in terms of sorting you guys out. You know, uh, I I can kind of I, I I know, but like you tell me from your perspective, uh, and it will mobilize. <laughs> so the I mean the, the question the great but, tiger army. The question doesn't <laughs> specify that like. You can communicate with them, and then you. It doesn't mean that it. There isn't no. Your, there is no animosity. Still wants to eat you. So you might only be talking for a very short time. Well, you just, you communicate. If you can communicate, then there's a level of understanding there, and and you could do like yeah, the but, whole Bilbo and Smaug thing for. I was going to say, but you can. Who's to say you, it doesn't you can do it through like a horrible animal? Do it beh- from behind mesh. Oh, Gareth. There's no need to assume that every single member of an entire race or species. I'm not. Is bad. I'm not. But you may pick that one. You tiger may pick that one. Just one. That, that's why you do it from behind mesh. <laughs> do it from behind mesh in in your big truck thing. Yeah. Find the good one, yeah. and then use your relationship with the good one to promote yourself further. Get yourself elected as uh, <laughs> as as the spokesperson of the of the Panthera Tigris uh, group. Yeah. Well. I, do you know what? I, do you know what? I hate, absolutely hate Joe Shreve Vogel. He has completely ruined the idea of being able to talk to tigers for me. Because the more I talk about this, the more I think, oh, you want to be the Tiger is. King. The more I think about it, the more his name comes to mind. I think I know the real reason you want to talk to tigers, Aaron. Why is that? You want to find out if they sound like uh, Shere Khan from. 
the animated Jungle Book. How cool would it be if they've all got, if they've all got posh can't. British accents? <laughs> because <laughs> that would make perfect sense for an Indian animal. And Indian tigers. <laughs> yeah. oh, they've all clearly got a very posh British accent. Yeah. That's what friends are for. There you go. You've got a tree beard and a Shere Khan impersonation this yep. week, folks. Wow. Can you do? Can you do uh, Jeremy Irons as uh, Jeremy Scar? Irons. You know, let's get a lion in there. Long live the king! I know that your powers <laughs> of protect—I can't remember redemption. The it's no, perception. Wait. I know that your powers of retention. Perception. As a war monster <laughs> backside, because you are. Pay attention. My words are a matter of pride. Actually, actually, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna stick on the old nerd voice here. It's not Jeremy Irons actually singing that song. It's another Isn't man. It? No, no, it's, it's, um, no, it's someone it. else. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway. so uh, when I'm king, what that make you? A monkey's uncle? No, I can't do Jeremy Irons. No, it's a difficult place to do. It's a I'll practice one, my yeah. curtsy. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't bad though. That wasn't too bad. <laughs> Right, anyway, shall we move on? Yeah, let's, let's move on. Let's move yeah. on from our, 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 our impressions. <laughs> um, and uh, impressions. Well, let's look at the question that we posed to you, dear listeners. Uh, based on our our ramblings of last week of different bird names, um, mm. we're, where we went as wrong as they could be, as, uh, as weird as they could have been. We've uh, had some worse got... ones out of the edit. Oh, yes, far worse ones. <laughs> That probably can't be. Uh, I mean, you you can you can probably imagine with all sorts of things from there's tits out there, there's uh, nays, there's cacas, there's cacapos, there's all sorts of uh, funny sounding ones. Mm-hmm. We didn't hit on the Andean cock of the rock either, which no, that could have been a potentially uh, interesting one. Um, but the responses that we do have um, seem to have gone down a slightly different route. No yeah, one. Yeah, they did. I don't think people got the understood or or read the question i don't think people to be honest it's probably our fault really to be honest they do like i mean they do read as some absolutely fantastic suggestions as to what the birds would look like which i think is just as funny um, as as any of uh as any sort of just naming we went for the childish route i think well, everyone else has gone the slightly more cerebral route yeah so uh aaron what have we got as some of the responses well, our first answer came from a complete stranger to the podcast. I don't know, don't recognize this one, uh, but it's from Paris, who said, "What the whole city?" Yeah, it was. I'm sure, so no one's ever done that joke before. No, no, <laughs> that's the type of joke that gets you punched in the face because it's the type of joke you've heard like too many times. Uh, so her answer was ostrich crossed with lilac-breasted roller. Uh, a large and in charge, unmistakably fabulous and in your face. Um, roller, roller stretch, roller stretch, yeah, roller stretch. I mean, it's coming after you. You know, it's chasing after you like that video of the one chasing rollers. the cyclist. But it looks fabulous doing it. it. Yeah, roller stretch, amazing. Uh, um, do rollers, rollers are like bee eaters, aren't they? And that they yeah. they catch small insects. Mm-hmm. So I wonder is it is it racing after the insects to eat them? Or is it eating what an ostrich eats? It seems like it's expending a lot of energy to find <laughs> insects. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to pay dividends. Well, yeah. It looks good doing it, though. It does if look it's good doing that it. that fast, yeah. surely it's more likely to get an insect in its eye than in its mouth. 
just runs with its mouth open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, then our friend Philip has answered, bird names are entertaining enough anyway. I give you tits, shags, boobies, and the hooded pitahui for starters. I mean, yep. I mean, He's gone yeah, down the yeah. same route that we've gone down. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then Ashley has answered, I'd mix cockatoo and an ostrich just for the sheer carnage. That mm-hmm. would just be evil. Yeah. That would be the world's most psychopathic. What? Cockstretch? Cockstretch, Cockstretch. Yeah. Or Ostrichu, Ostrichu. Yeah, psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Psychopath, it's coming yeah. for you and there's nothing you can do about it. No. I see there's some gem cockatoo uh, videos on YouTube of Larry uh, ab- verbally abusive cockatoos. To see that in ostrich size and ostrich form yeah, just, hybridized it's, would be hilarious. As its long neck with its very evil looking head pokes around the corner, screeching as it kicks the door in after you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, a potential horror film in that, I think. <laughs> and uh, lastly, Tom has answered that he'd like to see a ratite-sized eagle. Uh, it would be pretty damn interesting. Again, going <laughs> for the visual uh, rather than the well, funny names that we asked for. <laughs> but thank you not- anyway. It's really kind of all of you to contribute. Not to uh, to be picky, but we already have a ratite-sized eagle because technically uh, there are eagles the size of kiwis. <laughs> oh, you didn't put your nerd voice on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I think you'll find uh, there are ratites. Doesn't sound any different. Uh, th- sorry? <laughs> Doesn't sound any different. <laughs> right, I'm going now. <laughs> Apologies, track Professor. All along. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there we go. Anyway, there it is. don't put me in solitary confinement again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron, we also had another question <laughs> that we had on there as well. We did. And I will read that out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you could. The please. other question was where in the world would you like to go exploring and potentially make a discovery? And again, we had the same for listeners writing in to answer us so thank you very much guys mm. uh firstly we'll, we'll go in the same order we have paris who said she'd like to go to antarctica because there's likely so many left to find and nobody around to get in the way which is quite true i would have thought and didn't something get um discovered down in antarctica like this past week i don't know you did the news yeah, I, I don't you remember the, seeing anything. Like did I did wrong. do the news headline. I, <laughs> I, I omitted that one in favour of the Tyrannosaur one to wind you guys up. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Philip comes back at us with, uh, he'd, he'd like to go to either Korea or Myanmar to find crested shell duck or pink-headed duck. Oh, mm. pink-headed duck. Bird, thought bird to be extinct. Again. Mm. Mm. Pink-headed cock of the rock. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Ashley said... Caribbean islands, but he didn't say what he'd like to discover there. And Tom finishes us out with Papua New Guinea or Australia for undiscovered marsupials or even hidden thylacine. I'd be curious to see what Mm. hidden gems still exist undiscovered out there. Mm, Very true. Mm. Well, well, when it comes to places you could go and and places to see, there there is still quite a lot out there to possibly have things hidden away. Mm. 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 So as for our question this week, I think uh, based on our 
lovely spidery creature feature that we've had. And based on what Aaron has said about, you know, if you uh, send in your what spiders you might work with, here's our question to you. What is your favorite spider and why? Mm. Or um, it could be uh, a wild species of spider. It could be one from a totally different country. There are a multitude of very, very pretty spiders out there. We've also we've covered some very pretty spiders uh, here on the podcast. The ladybird spider being one of the UK's most pretty, uh, and things like the um, the peacock tarantula mm-hmm. being one of the most excitingly coloured species of tarantula out there as well. But doesn't have to be a tarantula; could be any species of spider. So that's our question for you this week: What's your favourite spider, and why? Send pictures if you have if you have that species but remember also if you want to get in contact with us uh, for whatever reason sending us spider pictures uh, telling us about all sorts of different things or sending us a question you can do that uh, on our email um, that is the nat history cupboard at gmail.com we're also on twitter and on facebook where we post up all those different uh, questions throughout the week and lots of different uh, articles all sorts of different facts uh, and random goings on. We're on Tic Tac, Tic Tac, Tic Tac. We're on a Tic Tac as well. <laughs> We're recorded on Tic Tac now. <laughs> We're also on TikTok and on Instagram as well, and of course the fabulous T Mill store, um, where you can find all the different designs and especially our spider based designs as well. Uh, remember, you can like subscribe leave a review on whatever podcasting service you're listening to us on uh let us know what you think um and all those different things um by sending us uh your questions in but that pretty much leaves us to say a big thank you to my co-host a big thank you aaron you're very welcome that is all right uh and a big thank you drew thank you professor that's that's okay you, you don't have to go back in the corner you, you're fine no you're right good 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 <laughs> Uh, and a big thank you to you at home for listening. And we'll see you next time here in the Natural History Cupboard. Bye. Bye. I'm something of a Jeremy eight-legged Irons. Eight-legged freak. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm something of an eight-legged freak myself. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>